Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another Creative Vibes with Nivek Pro. I'm your host, Kevin Jackson. Um, today, we're going to be talking about game development in Japan. Uh, I have here with me a guest, Glenn Henry, and we're going to be talking with him. Uh, first of all, let me just say to you guys, it's been a while. I know it's been a long time since I've done a podcast, but things are going to change 2020. Um, this being the first ca podcast for 2020. And you guys are used to me talking solo, just talking about my experience as a creative um, in a developing country. Uh, and this time around, I want to meet other creatives from other disciplines, not just animation and film. You know, I want to talk about game development, esports. Um, I want to talk with actors and what they're doing, you know, craft artisans, etc. Uh, so today we have Glenn Henry as guest. And Glenn, you there? Hi. Yes, I'm hearing you. Thank you for having me on the show, man. Hey, no problem, man. No problem. Uh, Glenn actually had me on his show the other day. Um, it's the Build It and They Will Play podcast. You can check it out. It's available on Anchor, Spotify, and several other platforms, right, Glenn? Yep, yep. It's pretty much everywhere right now yeah great so check it out he's he's interviewed some really really cool people um so definitely go check that out put it on your 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 list uh so glenn mm. tell us about yourself you know who is glenn henry all right well that's a heavy question um but off the bat um i am a creative is probably the best way to start it off um I have been making making or telling stories in one way or another for the past, how old am I? Um, let's say 15 years. Um, and currently I am pursuing an active passion in making video games. Okay, cool, cool. That is mm -hmm. awesome. I know a lot of our listeners probably didn't even realize game development was happening in, in Jamaica. Um, and that's the main reason why I wanted to do this podcast to, you know, kind of enlighten them a bit. Um, before we get deep into that, one mm -hmm. of the questions that listeners tend to like to know is, you know, which high school did you go to? I have the dubious honor of being an Ardenite. <laughs> Ardenite. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Arden is actually a pretty excellent school when it comes to developing creatives. They have literally, I would say they have, the, the best actors to come out of Jamaica? I know, and that's what I'm realizing over, over a period of time. Like, a lot of my peers, um, if, even if we didn't necessarily share the same passions, um, mm -hmm. in one way or another, we ended up going into the arts. Um, I know that Arden has a very strong music um, program. Um, big mm -hmm. up Mr. Hurd. Um, so definitely that those, uh, right. those talents were nurtured. But I realized that a number of visual artists, photographers, singers, songwriters are coming out of the school. Um, unfortunately, I don't want to necessarily badmouth any institution, but in my experience, it wasn't necessarily, um, it wasn't a core focus to nurture this talent. Hopefully... Yeah. They realize the niche that they're developing and you know really turn around and give those areas the focus that they need 
Yes, I hope so. I know my business partner, um, Adrian White, mm-hmm. he actually teaches and teaches animation at Arden at the CXC oh. level of Cape. So, so there it is already. Great. Excellent. Mm-hmm. That yeah, definitely so be, he would be happy to hear that you're an Ardenite. <laughs> Great. Uh, so so you you've delved into the, the, the world of you know game development. Um do you have a game working on? Could you tell us yes, actually, about it? Actually, yes, I do. Um, my current project is called Grim and Tonic. It is really an explore, exploring a way of telling stories. Um, it's a visual novel, which is really, for people who don't know, is kind of a visual, uh, a, a comic you can play almost. Um, it focuses a lot on branching narrative points so you get a lot of choosing choose choice options and depending mm-hmm. on your choice it, on your choice the story will change and mutate um oh, that reminds me of um a game i used to play when i was a kid i think it was leisure suit larry or something like that kind of like leisure suit larry but it's more focused on like um character person character interaction so you often get get like a static or a single image of a character like mm-hmm. a like a full body image and yeah, yeah. and they 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 change the animation will change to show different expressions and such. Um, oh. It's actually pretty big in Japan in terms of a genre by itself, um, mm-hmm. and we see that uh, at least in the indie space, a lot of people take it up as a way of retelling their own stories um, mm-hmm. and fleshing them out. Um, personally, I picked this project or this format for my current project because I was trying to find a way to really merge my own um, uh, my own uh, passion for drawing illustration with my own passion for game development a lot of times I feel that they're often at odds because as an indie developer you actually wear a lot of hats so you are the manager you're the project project lead you are the marketer you're everything and right. what happens is once you put on that hat, a lot of their creative decisions end up being limited. Like you pick a certain art style and you have to continue with it for three, four, five, six months. You can't change. Um, uh, and I find that sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, I really like just doing a certain type of art, a certain type of style, um, a yeah. little bit of influence and stuff like that. And I find that if I build certain games, I don't allow myself the freedom to explore that. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to find a way of doing both. And that's what Grim Tonic is. That plus dealing with some other personal stuff and trying to put everything into a pot and mix it together. Okay, okay. All right, so tell me, how did you even get into game development in the first place? All right. Um, well, like most kids in the 90s, when I growing up in the 90s, um, you you got expo- exposed to like Super Nintendo. Um, that's where it started. You realize that you can press a button and character can move on the screen. So video games have pretty much always been a central factor in my life. Um, okay. And learned that you know, oh, to be a game developer, you have to know how to program. So once that course was offered in fifth form, I kind of picked it up. But then it was very abstract to me, and I just couldn't understand how writing these words on the screen could turn into moving a character. It didn't make sense to me. So right. I kind of, I, I, I distinctly remember before 
DXC, just you know what I'm saying? That, yeah, no, programming is not for me. I have to figure out to do something else. All right, so I put that to bed. Mm-hmm. Ooh, some twist of fate. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what it was. I don't know if it was just boredom or if it was just um, interest, my own personal interest. Like I was researching, I was trying to understand how these if statements can turn into controls for a game, can turn into mm-hmm. characters and turn into rules. And I ended right. up learning how to pro- make a Pac-Man clone in QBasic, I believe. Uh, and I think that that kind of taught me, okay, you can use programming to do this, and this is how you do that. But unfortunately, right. in the course itself, it didn't necessarily, it was very concerned with teaching the basics and not necessarily how those basics can be applied. So it, right. it felt like it was teaching you for teaching you's sake rather than yeah. teaching you to, to carry it to a point. So that basically ended up, ended, led, led to me doing computer science at UE. Mm-hmm. Um, pursued that again, not necessarily with a lot of enthusiasm, but it's something that just kind of fell, fell naturally. Um, right. I was always... I was always in the sciences. I was always in math. I was in computer science. Not necessarily an excellent student, but um, that was mostly because I wasn't engaged. I wasn't. I, I get bored. Yeah. So I I, I know fun. what you mean because I did the computer science program at UWE, and that first year it took a while for me to get engaged. Um, and I don't think I was really engaged in like second year, and even mm-hmm. second year was a bit of a struggle. I think third year was a little bit easier um, mm-hmm. to accept but it, it, it definitely wasn't engaging I felt like it didn't really mimic the the real world um, yeah you know I, I feel like most of the things most of the, the things that made computer science students excellent at UA was the experimentation that you had to basically do on your own you know the classes didn't really go the direction you were expecting or hoping it would go Exactly. Um, actually, what happened is like, and bear in mind, this is between what, 2008 and call it 2011. This, around this time, um, there was what people call like the indie game boom, which, yes. is, which is where um, game developers like Edmund McMullen, um, Jonathan Blow, who else? Um, a bunch of smaller, smaller developers who were primarily making uh, like flash games, like stuff on Newgrounds. Um, somehow ended up on Steam. And in these days, you know, Steam wasn't releasing a game every day or 50 games every day. They were releasing like a game a week. So suddenly they got access to a platform with a lot of, a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of users who are hungry for content. And they're Mm -hmm. doing it from their home. They're doing it almost by themselves or with a very small studio. Um, Or small studio mean like two or three people. And it kind of dawned on me because at this point, again, there was a lot of, I'm still slightly aimless. And there was a, this resignation, like I haven't gone abroad. So pursuing, pursuing gaming or game development is, is lost for me. Right? So when this happened, I'm like, oh, wait, I don't have to go abroad. I, I can finish my degree and I can do this out here. And there's an opportunity out here because... Whereas over there, there are all these other developers I, uh, that I need to compete with. I can do mm-hmm. it out here. 
I can be first. I can be, you know, that ideal that, you know, rather than be a small fish in a big pond, you can, yeah, something to that effect. So I ended up doing more research on my own. And what was ended up happening is that I basically sit down in in the, I didn't even sit at the back of the class. I sat at the front of the class. I was pretty brazen with it. And (laughs) I'd be on my laptop programming games, just learning how, how different frameworks work. Um, how to move things and I'll be showing it to my friends and again I was somebody who could catch on to things very quickly but I got bored very quickly so I would yeah. look up every 15 minutes see what the lecturer is talking about then go back and look at my uh, 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 go back and program and then I'll either get the notes before or after the class and that is how I kind of juggled everything um so yeah so I was Great. pretty much making games from like my second year in in UA. I graduated, um, and yeah, pretty much I've just been, since then, I've just been making games in one way or another um, under the brand or under the moniker Sprite Range. Okay, cool. All right, so you touched on this whole um, indie game boom, and basically you be a pioneer in this. Um, you know, it's definitely not common to see games in the Caribbean one mm. of the things that I want to know like from your perspective is there a market for for you know indie games like how many building indie games in in the Caribbean I mean it, it, it's kind of a well the first thing I would say is when you say a market in the Caribbean real and truthfully remember um, gaming it's a global thing now it's a global global phenomenon it's like one of the gr- fastest growing um, creative sectors right now. Um, so really and truthfully, what it is, is that the question should, how I feel the question should be is that do I feel that we as a car, we in the Caribbean can com- be, compete on the global scale? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, we have the stories, we have the clout, we have the background, and we have more or less the education, at least in aggregate. It may not necessarily be in the same like as a geared um, track, but the information right. is there. So, right. so essentially what, we have, it's a easy transferable skill. Um, yeah. you know, we, we have programming, we have the graphic designers, the animators, etc. It's just a matter of putting it putting all it together. together. Yeah. Mm. The, yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, in terms of, of, of indie gaming, like after you create an indie you know, mm-hmm. and let's say it's successful, right? Because I, mm-hmm. Im- I can imagine most are probably not successful. But if it is successful, do they go on to form larger companies as several game developers or does it kind of just stick to being a one-man show? Well, for me, what I imagine and what I hope um, will happen eventually is that uh, the game, the studios themselves, well, I imagine multiple studios forming and I imagine a couple, a handful of titles getting moderate success. And then those studios eventually growing out and, you know, either taking on, creating more and more um, IP or becoming some kind of like BPO outsourcing hub here. Because we are uniquely positioned, really and truthfully, to take on some of the more mundane tasks that can be you know come from the states or come from wherever and 
that will feed our economy, that will feed our skill set, that will, will grow in experience, and then we can then take that experience and put it back into um, the 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 new IP. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I answered the question, but I, I definitely see room here for multiple med- small to medium sized studios, if not like one mega studio. Okay, well, you 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 answered the question basically, like. Um... Uh, basically, this next question will get kind of cover anything that was missed. But how do you how do you market your game? Are there game conventions? Do you do this entirely online? Like, how do you market your game? Get it sold? Get people knowing about it? Um, or even getting other people to work on it? Like, how does that work? Well, there are multiple avenues, um, and most of it is online. I'm still myself learning of newer, newer, better techniques to employ in terms of getting word out there. Um, a lot of it, a lot of indie, indie developers, both here and abroad, and uh, what they tend to do is a focus on social media marketing, where they try and expose um, aspects of the development process to their audience. Um, but that can be tiring, and that can be difficult depending on the ty- type of game that you're working on. Right, it's right. harder to hook somebody with a fifteen or thirty-minute video about a 30, 30 minute video of for a visual novel than it is to hook somebody on a Zelda, a game that plays like Legend of Zelda, for example. Um, other ways that they get out there is they participate in forums. There are a number of development development forums out there. Um, they check Reddit. There's our our slash game dev which is pretty um active um and can get a lot of info insight and information from there um there are paid ads that you can employ right now i'm experimenting with facebook facebook ads and of course there are competitions um such as the is it igf there's igf every year there's a number number of them that pop up and up and they are normally open to everyone for a small fee. So, like, IGF is one. I think Momo, Momo Khan has one every year. There's BIG, which is Brazilian Indie Game um, Indie Game Festival. So it's BIG and then Festival. Um, on top of that, there are just what's it, what other way? just cross promoting your game. If you have a large enough library, you can advertise other games that you've developed within your your um, portfolio so it's really a mix right you you tend to employ pretty much the same strategies any um digital creative has to employ right now to get noticed okay. yeah okay all right mm-hmm. so stepping away from the market for a bit what is the typical day like for a game developer um well i I can't talk about the typical day, but I can talk about my own day. Um, from If I have a clear enough day, because right now I do juggle um, game development alongside my other responsibilities, and it's not something I'm doing 100 uh, full-time yet. Um, but normally I try to take a very organized approach with everything. I have a limited number of hours at three in the day, and I try to structure it as best as possible. So if I am talking right now for German talk, talk, for example, there would have been an entire entire 
there, there would have been days set aside for asset gathering. So I would go out and ensure I collect the music, background music for all the characters that I want to showcase. Um, all, the, all the stock assets I would want to use for backgrounds or stuff that I would process to, before I put them into the game. And that would probably be like two weeks of that and that would be set aside. All right. And then another week I'd dedicate completely to writing and then I'll, I'll block out um, background information and for all the characters and scope that out. So little things like birthdays, um, likes, dislikes, uh, where they're working, um, ethnicity, just a whole bunch of um, details to try and write that character because personally I am... Uh, What's the term? Um, Panzer. I fly by the seat of my pants when I'm writing. <laughs> so I tend to <laughs> I tend to get caught up in what's happening on paper in front of me. And if I'm not doing that, if I don't have a source of background information, it's difficult for me to facilitate all of that. Um, and then there were other days where I'm dedicating to coding. So it's really... So, so I've already written it out. I have the background bits and I'll you know coding the interactions and those are blocked out bit by bit by bit. Uh, and then while I'm doing all of this, I'm also considering how I can turn this into a post on Twitter or how right. I can oh. put this as an article, like I'll make notes as they come to me throughout the day. Um, you um, know, what strategy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there were other days where it's just dedicated to asset generation. So I've taken the background material and I'm, now I'm dedicating it to processing and editing it, running running what I need to run through filters or drawing the actual characters and then putting everything in, uh, in, in labeling them properly and naming them properly. Yeah. So again, I'm very, I try to be very organized. It is, it's it's effective for me. It works for me, but it may not work for everyone because it's kind of rigid. Um, but I find that's the only way I can make progress towards the end. Because if I just, in the past, what I've done, if I don't structure it out, I end up working on a project endlessly. And I don't uh, finish. I mean, one of my okay. first, first projects, I think I worked on it for upwards of three years. And then at the end of the three years, it was like a five-minute game. And the reason for that is because I realized that after all those years, I just kept on rebuilding the same engine, changing out the same assets, changing out the rule set for no reason. Right? right. It wasn't. It wasn't even actively tested by anybody else. It was just me testing it, and then. Which game? Which game was that? That one was called Mage. You can actually find that on my itch page, uh, itch.io, and it is I think a I small. That. Yeah, that one was like. I started that towards the end of my UE degree and I did not finish that until like, that would have been like 2010 and I don't think I finished it. I released it to 2013. Okay. Yep. And you got players? Like people played it? People played it. Some so, people gave a couple of reviews. A couple of people bought it. But it, oh, no. it, 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 it wasn't like, a, like a, it was anywhere. To me, it was a success, but it was not like, oh, I can, I am definitely a developer. I'm, this is going to be paying my light bill. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was really just getting over some of those hurdles. Because I feel yeah, yeah. that one of the things, at least for game devs in particular, is that we have a fear of finishing. 
No, ship it yes. muscle. Yes. Yeah. It's not. It's not just a game dev thing, you know. I think it's a creative thing because, like, with animation, like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. For me, how I really pushed to learn animation was that I had to give myself a project that I had to complete. Yeah. And I remember starting a project called Runners, which was basically about some guys who, you know, they race for money. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the cops, they have to basically, um, they have, you know, they have to basically run. But it was supposed to go deeper into eventually, like, a, I don't know if you ever watched... Oh God, what's the name of that? Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds. But, no, not the name of right now. So Smokey and the Bandit, and this is just a, a a little bit of diversion. Smokey and the Bandit, in my opinion, was the first Fast and Furious, right? Smokey okay. and the Bandit was about a bootlegging, bootlegging, mm-hmm. not bootlegging as we know it today with movies, bootlegging liquor, right? Oh, so you're like NASCAR, beginning of NASCAR and. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, but the thing is that this bootlegging was not like the old old time bootlegging, where it's like you're making moonshine and selling this illegal kind of liquor. It was a case where you, if I remember correctly, you're not supposed to be transporting liquor across state borders, um, you know, without certain licenses and stuff like that. And uh, somebody, some big person, basically ordered a literal trailer load of liquor. Now, they had to drive this across state borders, knowing that, you know, if the police catch them as problems, you have what's called a bandit. And in my animation, it would have been called a, a runner, right? The, essentially, what the bandit does is they distract the police. So they drive ahead of the truck, and they drive wild, they drive fast. So when the police see them, the police are distracted by them and chase them instead of the truck. Mm-hmm. And of course, you had to ensure you didn't get captured by the police so that you could continue, you know, basically playing. Um, and I'm not really an NFL fan, but, you know, essentially playing, I guess, linebacker for your, your um, what do you call it? Yeah, I'm forgetting my NFL terms, but. You know, essentially, you're just you're blocking for, for for the the, the, the truck that's transporting the liquor. Um, but the thing was that project dragged on for a while because there was just like no motivation to finish it. I was just had this idea in my head and was just animating, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. And then I had to literally enter a competition to mm-hmm. force myself to finish it. And why I found that that was really, really good was that it forced me to solve problems. Before, what, was my, what my hang up was, I was trying to do something. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I was searching online for an answer. I couldn't find an answer. And then I would just get stuck. And because the competition was drawing near and I was like, oh, I have to finish this thing. I'm sitting there going, all right, all right, all right. How can I solve this problem? How can I solve the problem? And I started thinking through the problem. And then I'm like, hey, wait, I could do this. And then you do it and it works. And you go, all right, yeah, this is great. And it helped me to progress through. And what that did for me was that it helped me become more confident in finishing mm-hmm. animations. Right? Exactly. When someone says, hey, I need an animation, I'm not worried about how it's going to get finished. Before, I'm like, man, can I finish it? I don't know if I can. You know, mm-hmm. but it, confidence. 
Yeah, and one of the things that it taught me in terms of finishing, it taught me multiple things, but one of the things it taught me is like, okay, how long it takes to actually do something, right? right. A lot of a lot of people, and this is incre- this happens with a lot of people who are translating from a fan into, I guess, a practitioner in any creative industry, like people who you know who love comics decide to write or write or draw a comic. Right, they, re- they misunderstand the level of effort that goes into it. All right, right. Same thing for games. Same thing for movies. And I think right now there's a there is a small there's a small segue here, but I think there is a not small um, problem that's been exacerbated by social media with a lot of armchair game devs, a lot of you know armchair directors, a lot of people who are being very vocal about their opinions, their uninformed opinions regarding a lot of creative output right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that is sad because if they took even half a second to really look into what they're talking about without preconceived notions, because a lot of them go into it to try and prove, they'll, they'll do digging to try and prove their assumptions, right? But that's a segue. That is something that actually probably should be discussed probably in a future video, but <laughs> yeah, <probably>. a <laughs> uh, future podcast. But that that's an issue. But um, yeah, going into that, I learned limits. I learned my own limit. I learned what to, what I can do and what is a realistic expectation. And on the most important thing that I learned from it is overcoming that fear because. There is a fear when you make something and you release it online or to the public or you show somebody other than your mother, your brother, your sister, right? And that fear is terrifying and that fear cripples a lot of people. And I remember the day I posted that thing online, I was sick the entire morning and I was checking that website. And then by the end of the website, by the end of the day, I was like, wait, nobody was really checking it. Like, oh, marketing is actually... And you were there just mashing up that, that um, refresh button, right? Yeah, he was clicking, clicking, clicking. And then end of the day, realized, oh, marketing actually is important for something. Oh, it's <laughs> not that hard. And oh, the, the best thing and the worst thing about that entire experience was like, people really don't care. Which it, yeah. sounds, it sounds bad, but what that means is you can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Fine. Right. There was a concept, I don't remember where it comes from, but there's a concept that I think it's in writing. I might be misquoting it too. Um, you have 10,000 bad stories in you and the idea is to get all of them out. Yes. Yeah. That's some very good advice. You know, I mean, the first thing that you said earlier tonight was that your first game took three years to get out and was five minutes long. I yeah. think your major problem they kept changing out assets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now you're, you're, you're kind of more driven by, by finishing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind, of, it kind of boils back down to that whole finished is better than perfect analogy um, where it's not saying that you shouldn't strive for perfection, but don't be crippled by perfection. Exactly. Because you, know, you can always improve later once you have a finished product that people can see and feel, etc. And, you know, you're also touching on the point that marketing is very important, you know, and 
when we say marketing, we do, we're not just talking about advertising and promotion. We're talking about having that plan around your game, exactly. you know? Exactly. Who, who is this? How are, you communicate? How, you, how are you going to communicate about your project? I'm going to say it's really a game I'm talking about, but I can make it be as broad as possible. But how do you talk about your project? How do you word it? Right. How, what's your pitch? In a sentence, can you describe what it is? Um, right. Yeah. Yep, we have great advice. Um, so question, what tools do you, what tools do game developers use? I mean, you can start with what you use, but you can also tell me, you know, like what other, what's common in the marketplace to use game development? Um, well, I am particularly an odd duck right now. And that is mostly because I'm what? lazy. I'm an odd duck. I'm odd right now. I'm an outlier because I'm lazy. Odd. <laughs> yeah, I um, I actually code my games primarily in HTML, JavaScript right now, and then I oh, package okay. it. I package them for desktop or mobile. Um, the reasoning behind that is because well, I knew JavaScript and knew HTML. It was easy. It's what I knew, and I found a library mm -hmm. that was pretty well supported that allows me to do everything I need to do. So I'm not rehashing the wheel. Um, right, right. Because that's one of the things I realized when I was experimenting a lot, like. I, I, I kept on rebuilding the wheel. Like I remember working on a framework called XNA that was for Xbox Arcade way back in the day. And yes. it's discontinued now. It was C sharp. And then I decided to take it upon myself and rebuild aspects of the engine in JavaScript. I don't know not in JavaScript in Java. And I don't know why I did that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because I'm sitting here, why on earth would you do that? <laughs> I, I did it, and then it had collisions, and it had everything. It rendered assets. It updated. It had a, it had the game loop. It had core logic. It had it read controls. I have no. I don't know why I did that, but I did. Okay. Um, well, you know, you learn a lot from these things. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But <laughs> so basically, once I found the library that I'm using currently, right now, it's called Phaser. Um, that's P-H-A-S-E-R. It's pretty well supported. Um, and yeah, so that's what I use for my my projects. Uh, what a lot of game developers are using right now are, is Unity. And that's because, yes, that is very well supported. It's free up to a certain number of sales, I think. Like It's free for pretty much the average developer, indie developer, right? Or you can pay to remove the Unity logo or something to that effect. Um, and it has a lot of plugins and libraries that make your life a lot easier. Like menu management, collision detection, radar, you know, stuff that's used for minimaps, as well as um, 3D rendering. Uh, right. A lot of people want to use Unreal Engine right now as well because they, I, they open source a bunch of their stuff. Um, and yeah, they, a lot of people, a lot of indie developers right now, um, primarily work on PC, they port, develop for PC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so, covered that work, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, I definitely think it is. Uh, mm. what is the game development community like in Jamaica? Um, you know, I, yeah. What's it like? Um, in a word, it's fractured. There's definitely enthusiasm out there. Um, 
there are a bunch of different pockets of people who are very interested or people who have tried doing the solo thing in one version or another. Um, actually, part of an organization called the Jamaican Game Developer Society. Um, right now, yeah. it is more informal. It's really just kind of, a, it's actually just a Discord group right now. Um, I'm trying to encourage more people to join. Um, I, I'll, I want to pass on a link. So if you could share that, that would be great. Um, and hopefully in 2020, we can formalize um, further and actually apply for an emerging chapter um, status through the International Game Developers Association, which would be great. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a really a small it's small it's pockets, um, pockets, and I know that there are, is a community coming out of UTEC right now because UTEC is doing trying to put together a curriculum. I'm not sure how right. far along right now though. Okay, so um, for just for the guests, you know, I was gonna ask at the end of this, you know, to give me some some links and so on, but um, for this specific link, I'm gonna just drop it now. But so for any anybody out there who's a game developer and doesn't know about the Game Developer Society or you want to get into games and, you know, network with the community, you can go to Facebook and it's facebook.com slash groups slash J-A Game Dev. So that's J-A-G-A-M-E-D-E-V, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll find the Jamaica Game Developer Society. You can join and interact with people like Glenn and other game developers um, I see there are like 281 members in the group. So it's a mm-hmm. sizable group. Um, mm-hmm. So let me know, segue into what do you think needs to happen for the game dev community to be less fractured? Because we do suffer the same thing in other creative industries. It's not mm-hmm. so bad in film because with film, I think the industry is mature. The industry has been around in Jamaica for, for almost a hundred years. And I mean, film itself has been, film has been shot on Jamaica for over a hundred years, right? I think, I don't even remember the name of the first movie shot here, like some pirate movie on the sea, right? Black and white days. Yeah, I yeah, think it yeah. Turned... last time we spoke, like, yeah, yeah so there was like black shot, um, those pirate films. Oh, here. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it called? I'm trying to remember if it was like High Wind Sea or some, something. I can't remember. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is like with film, they've been around for a while and they understand that they have to collaborate in order to, to, in order to progress, right? You really mm-hmm. and truly can't work on a Marvel production like um, Luke Cage with mm-hmm. one person, right? No. Um, you know, you can't work on James Bond with one person. So they, they kind of quickly knew that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I actually, I think, I think I found a movie. I think it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea starring Kurt Douglas. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that movie was shot back in early 1900s. But yeah, so with film, it's a bit more mature. You still have people doing things on their own, but in terms of the major productions that actually look good, it's a team. Mm-hmm. With animation, it's the same, same problem like the game. It's, it's pretty fractured. 
And, you know, like the Jamaica the Association for Animators, Jamaica Animation Nation Network, you know, has been trying to get people together. And we do have, you know, some people are coming together, but you still have a lot of, you know, fractured, you know, little silos. And mm-hmm. it's been proven that if they come together and work together, not only can you do more, but the quality is much higher, you know? So is it similar in gaming, like, you know, like, because like, for example, you mentioned how you do your process. And like, one Mm -hmm. of the things I was thinking to myself is, my goodness, like you're literally a head cook and bottle washer. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. would you take on a writer? Would you take on um, an illustrator? Like, what would, what what does a local game development community need to do to actually get to that next level um well all right i'm coming from a different school of thought because whereas with film you definitely need um for a sizable production you definitely need a team behind you to cover all the bases you literally Mm -hmm. can't write direct act and record your entire film despite what youtube would tell you right (laughs) right um because youtube youtubers do Try that after a fashion. Um, what happened yes. during the indie? One of the mark hallmarks of the indie game boom was that a lot of these people were doing it solo. Like, right? Um, Edmund McMillan, I can't remember what his partner's name, which is sad. But that he and a partner, two people made Super Meat Boy, which was one of the iconic games of the twenty of twenty tens, right? Um, him and another person made Binding of Isaac. That's another. So it's really small teams. Right. right. So there's but that. Have, but do you even have small teams in Jamaica? Actually, yes and no. Uh, I'm still trying to collate together some like com- polished, completed games so that I can kind of just put together a showreel for people. Um, yeah. There was a small team that came together and made a game in the early days of Android, or early days of mobile, so Android iPhone. Um, called ARRG Arg Studios, which was actually four people, and ARRG was like the initials. They made um, sh- uh, Shapes and Sounds, the Shape Shooter. I think you can still get it on Android and it plays pretty well. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember any other small studios that have come together and collaborated. I and finished a game. I'm not sure, but. In my opinion, and based off what I've seen happening on other industries, and even in film, I can this this theory stands up, is that um, for the game dev community, what needs to happen is that uh, a studio, a small a small team or individual needs to come up with a title that gets some form of um, outside meaning, outside the Caribbean recognition. Once that happens, that serves as a catalyst. Because um, a friend of mine, um, Kenya, Kenya would say, Kenya Mattis, from listening, she would yes. say that it's um, bad mind for the force of good. Whereas international success will fuel local creativity and local production to do better. True. Yeah, right, right, right. Talk about film and the history of film, but you have to also remember how do they come. No, that is that is true. That is true. Because I mean, I will I'll say a lot of times what happens in the film industry, and I'm I'm gonna say this out loud, is that you will see someone do a good film, and I have a saying, and I'm yet to see this saying proven wrong, 
right? Is that when mm-hmm. so when you do something and someone mm-hmm. says some someone comments on it, right? Mm-hmm. It means they see the potential in it, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they come, even if they come and they go, oh, Tonic and Grimm is trash. You know that game mm-hmm. is just absolute trash. The fact that they made effort to trash your game means yeah. they see some potential in it. Why? Because if you think about it, on a typical day, if you encounter something, you encounter a post that does not interest you, you just scroll past it. You don't stop and click comment and sit down typing, 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 just exactly. because you're not interested in the, in the content, right? Guess what? You've and already won your attention. Right. And I feel almost like, like what Kenya is saying, bad mind is fueling. I mean, because there are times when you'll see a movie come out like a sprinter. And I thought Sprinter was a good movie. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. I'm not saying that it's, you know, world-class, but I think it's definitely one of Jamaica's better movies. And, yep. you know, there's some people hating on it, saying, oh, you know, it looks horrible. It, um, the cinematography is terrible and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that they'll stop you and they start the conversation, what did you think of Sprinter? It means they care. <laughs> because exactly. if you didn't like Sprinter, you would have just... You wouldn't even make people know that you watch it. It wouldn't come up unless I, unless I said, hey, have you watched Sprinter? Um, but I know that what ends up happening is that people see that and they see the success of it and then go, I can do better than that. I'm going to go make a film. You know? Exactly. It's <laughs> exactly that. Definitely In get fact, what you're saying. One of the things I would love... To, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. I was saying... I was just going to slide this part. In, um, in fact, there is an article by um, uh, Ram, Rami Ismail, who is a kind of a prolific um, game dev out of yeah. Netherlands. He has a theory for, because what he, what he does is that he goes across, uh, I'm not sure if he still does this, but there was a point in time where he extensively traveled to um, third world countries or developing regions to see the game dev communities there. And he kind of yeah. built out a theory for stages of development, right? We are firmly at stage one, which is pockets of interest, but they have not necessarily come together and developed um, uh, developed a a single um, project or a breakout project. And then there's like stage two where um, people are working together, but it's like primarily uh, contract work or something to that effect. I I might be requiring these wrong, but then there's like stage three where our project gets international acclaim and a, like a star or a hero for the community gets um, anointed or assigned. And then there's like stage four where now people are getting tired of the hero and they're effectively coming out with counter hero styled games. So it's like, oh, that person made um, a first person shooter. Uh, it's not that great. You know what? I'm going to make platformers. And they start making games to differentiate themselves from the icon, the hero. And yeah, I'm thinking about all of that. And I'm just like, that's that's the parable of bad mind right there. <laughs> that's what that is. And yeah, I mean, we are a competitive people. We are. And it can be harnessed for a force of good. Okay. All right. So what are the main challenges that you experience as an indie game developer? As an indie game developer, in general, mm. um, yeah. organizing ideas. What's that? Organizing ideas. Okay, um, organizing ideas. 
Because what will happen is that in mid middle of development, you will come up with an idea for another game. Uh. Then you have to train yourself to put that idea down and put it in mm -hmm. a corner. Mm -hmm. Finish what you're doing and then probably go back to that. I've been working on Grim and Tonic longer than I intended. I've been working on it for about a year or a little more than a year now. Um, right. Over the course of a period of time, I've come up with at least five other game ideas. Yeah. I've all of them down. I've opened up some design sheets and started doing some preliminary recording of the idea and I've left it alone. I have to train myself because if I, if I allow myself to just pursue my creative whims, I would never finish anything. Right. How do you protect how do you protect this intellectual property when you have all these ideas? Um well at this point in time I don't extensively do anything to necessarily protect it. Don't trademark that much, really and right. truthfully. Um and I don't uh outside of a couple of horror stories that I've actually heard on the internet or seen on the internet, I, I, what I've learned is that ideas by themselves aren't that critical it's the execution and right, since right. i and since i leverage social media so much as part of my act my um campaign my marketing campaign i kind of out of just sheer content end up protecting my well, ip right 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 somebody tries to leverage my ip right now they have to get through five five or so pages or two or so yeah, two or three Google pages to find something that does not name me as the creator of this thing. Right. I no, I, I totally get that. I mean I was saying to somebody the other day that um I always find it funny when creatives say, Oh, I don't want to put my stuff out there because people might steal it. And I was saying that my experience is that putting your stuff out there actually protects it. Because yeah. In more than one occasion in several groups, I'm talking Jamaican groups, American groups, um, mm -hmm. groups in, in Europe. I've literally mm -hmm. seen here somebody will post some work, right? Mm -hmm. And say, hey, look at this stuff I created. Everybody starts praising him. And then one dude goes, that don't belong to you. That is so-and-so. And then they'll send it links online of the person who actually created it. And then immediately the community turns on this person and kicks him out of the group and starts exactly. warning groups about this imposter. Mm -hmm. um, in Jamaica, it happened where Coretta Singer, years ago, on, in the, the Jamaica Animation Nation group on Facebook, mm -hmm. years ago, there was a, a 3D modeling challenge to model a, a Jamaican country bus. And mm -hmm. Coretta did this fantastic piece, right? It was so long ago, like 2013 or 2012, that, you know, like even she had forgotten about it, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody in Jamaica used it as the base for their flyer for a party, right? Because the party was supposed to be like some country party and you jump on a bus and kicks and then go to the party, right? And someone said, hey, Coretta, how much did they pay you to use this? And then she looked at it and she went, I didn't give these people permission. And they were like, mm -hmm. what? Well, they have it up on the Instagram. And, you know, she wrote them and asked them to take it down. They didn't. And then she got in touch with a lawyer and then the lawyer wrote them and then they took it down, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's the thing. It's like, because it was out there on the internet, yes, that's partially why it got stolen. But mm -hmm. also because it's out there on the internet and we, you, she has posts of the progress that, you know, like, you know, the, the wireframe 
of the 3D model and all of that stuff, that people know that it's hers, you know? Exactly. And somebody came to the rescue. Otherwise, she wouldn't have known at all. And, you know, so... so what, are, yeah, what, I, what are people forget, or what are people, I guess, either don't know then, is that you get copyright as an action of making the thing. It's yours. Right. Yes. You legally own it. Right? right. You don't need to apply for anything. Um, you don't need to submit anything. I mean, those can help protect it yes. further. Right. Right. But just by the act of making a thing and doing it in a very public manner, you're, you are protected by copyright. Right. Yes. Yes. That is true. Um, so where do you see game development going in Jamaica? Like in the next five years, what do you think is going to happen? Next five years? I can't tell you next five years. Game development, the game industry changes in like two. I mean, look at <laughs> look at what we've been talking about this year. They've been talking about um, cloud gaming, which yeah. is poised, if executed properly, is going to yep. just kill off console gaming, man. Oh, let um, me tell you. I, I know I see it happening already because I'm sitting on my computer and then like one day I said, you know, boy, I miss playing first-person shooters because like first-person shooters are my favorite genre. Of games, right? Like, give me a Call of Duty and I'll play that all day long, or Counter Strike, or whatever. And mm -hmm. I just downloaded one when I first got into Android. I remember downloading a first-person shooter, and I was like, "Man, this is such crap." And then, like the other day, I downloaded a first-person shooter, and I'm like, "Yo, this is just like Call of Duty. There's mm -hmm. like no discernible difference." Um, exactly. you know, like. You know, and I think PUBG, you can get PUBG on your phone. Yep. Um, that is mind-boggling. I think PUBG still has, like, the largest user base on mobile for Android right now. Like, it's ridiculous. But, um... Yeah, I'm not a console guy. I'm, I'm a computer gamer kind of guy. And, uh, and what, I have a... What's that? You have a, what, what you have now? I have a... I have an old PlayStation 3. Uh-huh. Okay? Which I mean, I, I don't really play. I, I really prefer computer games like um, oh gosh, why is the game not coming to me right now? Warframe, you mm -hmm. know, like like you know, games stuff like that. But I don't know. I just because you know, comp you 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 did come say you you yeah. get used to playing Counter Strike on a computer, and then after a while, controllers just feel weird to you. Yep. So, <laughs> Well, um, for right. me, let me tell you, my thing is that why I ask about where, where game dev is going is that I don't want to see game dev stuck as this little niche. Um, mm -hmm. I even would really love right now to be able to go to a website called CaribbeanGames.com, for example, and see, hey, what games is Jamaica making? What games are, is Barbados making? You know, what are the Android games or the, you know, like I'd love to be able to see what's happening because right now it's like if I don't know about game developer society i'm not going to know where to turn to find games i'd love to to see jamaica get to a point where everybody's um finished enough titles for our website to even make sense where people mm -hmm. can just, go just to look for those games because a lot of the jamaican games that i know of i happen to know about them by chance either somebody posts and say hey there's a game with a rastaman with um running and chopping coconut or there's a mm. game with, you know, whatever. And, you know, maybe you see something in the newspaper, etc. But there's no one space to go to say, where are all the Jamaican games? 
Well, I in the next five years, what I can imagine definitely happening for the Jamaican scene is that the hopefully, if it's not the JD, JMGDS, the Jamaica Game Development Society, another association comes together um, and really just you know provide access as a, as a font of information and community for everyone. Because once that central hub is set, that allows people to collaborate more. And then by the time that happens, we're getting triple I, triple A style games within the next five years. I can see that and, happening. And tell us what triple I and triple A mean. Okay. Um, the clarify triple A would be your Call of Duties. Those are your big ticket games that have teams of hundreds, hundreds of people that gross right. how many millions a year. Those right. are your big, 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 big titles, right? Triple I are are the basically the maturation of the indie scene. Um, right. Those micro, they're not micro. They're small studios, right? They're normally hiring up to twenty people, and they are releasing really, really, really polished work. For argument's sake, I don't know if you know the game Bastion. Bastion, no. Okay, Bastion is a game made by a group called Supergiant Games. Mm. And it's a beautiful game from an art directive direction um, point of view. It's a beautiful game from a music direction point of view. It's a beautiful game from a uh, control and combat point of view. It's a beautiful game from a narrative point of view. When I, so what I'm trying to say is a beautiful game, right? right, right. Um, and it's actually made by a pretty small team. And what yeah. the triple I images no, they look really good. Yeah, and their hallmark for super giant games is that small, tightly controlled, highly polished narrative stories. Right. Right? And they have a small teams so they can control that story better. Right. And they are and they are allowed to develop these things that make sense without giving up too much of the creative freedom. Because that's what you see happen with a lot of these triple A titles. The, the story doesn't hit as hard. It's not as relatable. It's right. more mass-produced. So this is... Yeah, yeah. I did see a headline the other day um, saying the world doesn't need larger games. They, they need better games. Exactly. And I, I feel like AAA is really the, the answer to that. And the reason why we call it AAA is because they're almost emulating um, AAA. They're pretty much a scaled back version so they don't cost as much but they're still pretty expensive right 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 so, yeah so. my next question now is and to be honest with you this question this question might be a bit too early but i'm going to ask it anyway because it's something that has to come up you know esports is also developing in jamaica and i wanted to know is there a collaboration with the game dev and esport community um, there is, a, as far as I know, there is an attempt. I am um, in a small group, a small um, discussions with UTech to a degree. I've, we're still trying to see how that works. I've talked to a couple guys over there, but I do know that they have a strong esports initiative, a very strong yeah. esports initiative. Um, there is a, I'm trying to remember the name of the Discord server. Um, I think it's Jamaica Esports Initiative. Actually, I think that's the name of it. Um, J E I E, J E I. Yeah. Um, 
and their focus is to develop east the esports sector in Jamaica and I guess the wider Caribbean. Um, so right. they so that exists in terms of a collab in terms of space. Um, there is definitely an option. I haven't necessarily seen anybody capitalize on it yet, but mm. it will take when you're building a game for esports. It takes a different set yeah. of skills and a different set yeah. of focus than, say, a, a narrative game, a, a platform, for argument's sake. Right? Right, the, right, your, priority, right. your priorities are different. There, so there is an option. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen anybody necessarily take, care, take advantage of the option, but I don't know what yeah. secret projects are on the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was just wondering if, like, at these esports events, you know, they do their usual, you know, playing of AAA games in teams and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to see a little niche segment dedicated towards playing local games. Um, and, you know, even if, even though games these days, you know, are more network-based multiplayer kind of situations, I, you know, I do remember back in the day, I don't, I can't remember that movie, but that movie had become an instant cult classic where this kid who, I guess now, we would call him autistic, but back mm-hmm. then we didn't really, you know, know the term. But mm-hmm. they traveled across country for him to play in this video game tournament, Super Mario Brothers. And, you know, he ended up winning the, the, the tournament. But it was literally based on high score. So even though it's a platformer and it's mm-hmm. one player at a time, each player is playing to achieve the highest score. You know, yeah. so even something like that. Um, but as I said, this question was a little bit ahead of its time because I know esports is up and coming. You know, we don't have that many titles yet, but I'm there thinking to myself, it's, it's kind of a no brainer to have the two connect so that local game devs can have a space where people who play Mm -hmm. games come and, you know, get introduced to those titles, play them. Um, Definitely. but, But, um, tell me something about teaching now like is teaching game development something that you'd be interested in i mean it's available at the cxc level um mm-hmm. and like you said utech is doing doing it i believe art does it like would you ever be interested in teaching it or that's not your thing personally i i i would love to um but there's also the aspect of there is a confidence aspect in that I don't feel that I necessarily have a breadth, of, uh, that depth of knowledge to right. necessarily be considered an expert, but I fully acknowledge I just, I don't necessarily need to be an expert. I just need to know more than the people I mean, who are asking, you said asking your, the question. You said your first game development course was very basic. I'm pretty sure if you were teaching one, you'd go beyond the little that you learned. Yeah. Yeah, so that, 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 that's the thing. It's just getting over that um, personal hurdle. But I would definitely be interested in doing, it, in doing it in some way or another. I haven't necessarily thought about it to uh, thought it all the way out, so I don't know if I would do something like a new Demi or some other online platform. Mm-hmm. But it's some stuff I've actually given a thought to for 2020, even if it's just articles or sharing some of the stuff that um, I, I've learned. Yeah, I mean, you could even be on an advisory board, you know, whether for UTIC or Arden. I mean, in fact, I think I, did, I should introduce you to Adrian White um, because mm. 
I think even even if it were to have you as a guest lecturer for a day, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'd definitely be open to it. And you know, if if, he, if you're even interested in teaching at that level, you can talk to him because he actually is involved with CXE to some level. So he has an understanding of how that works, you know. All right, so, well, we can make that link happen. Sure. Well, I'll definitely make that link happen. So we're coming to the close of this podcast. We've gone an hour mm-hmm. and four minutes so far. I mm-hmm. I hope the listeners are engaged and stick around at this point. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know, we talk a lot about games. Do you have any hobby, hobbies or skill sets outside of game dev? Or is game dev like pretty much it? Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I draw. I'm an illustrator. I've been calling myself an illustrator. Game dev really was just the answer to merging that art with my passion for code mm-hmm. um, and getting those to work together in some way. Um, it still really mo- is a work in progress in terms of you know trying to find a way to balance those two passions. So I do, inter- on my social media, there is a lot of art that I would have worked on in one way or another, a lot of portrait pieces that I, I enjoy working on and stuff like that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us what is what, what's next for you, you know, and yeah, what's next for you? Um, next for me right now is to finish up the conclusion for Grimantonic. Um, get that out there, release it. It's currently in early access, so it's to fully launch that out, um, the response from that, and then plan my next project, uh, which might be a mobile game right now. I'm leaning towards that. But like I said, I have like five or so ideas that just keep rotating in terms of focus in the back of my head. Um, right. And there also maybe, and it's probably healthy to take a break for a while, yeah, because it does. It's a lot. It's a lot of hats, and they can get heavy. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, how do we find your game if you want to play? It? Okay, uh, if you want to find my game, you want to play it. Um, you can actually visit the site at grimtonic.com. Right? Grimtonic.com, and that's just G R I M M T O N I C. Yes. Grimtonic.com. Okay. And mm-hmm. you, you play it online or you do download it on your phone? It's a PC. This one is a PC title. Um, you can get it either via on Steam or you can get it via um, Itch, which is an open platform, an open alternative to, to Steam. So okay. it doesn't have some of the restrictions that Steam normally has, such as content restrictions or um, payment payment um, thresholds or stuff like that. Because that's something that we need to get into, which is the, the monetization bit for game dev. Uh, standard rule is that all of these platforms that people release on, they take 30% off the top. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So I want you to give some advice to persons out there who want to become game devs. Um, you know, even you know, if it includes things like, you know, what kind of hackathons they can be a part of or contests or, you know, that sort of thing. Like what, what advice would you give game developers? Um, really interesting. I would give this advice to any creative. Um, it's just to do the thing to start. Um, 
to not be hampered by your own preconceived um, ideas of, oh, you need to develop your skill more, or you need to, you need to, you know, make this link or you, or something that needs to happen more than likely it doesn't take the minimum that you need to get started. So if you want to start a podcast, use your phone. If you want to draw, get a pencil and paper. If you can't get a digital tablet, don't make the smaller hurdles stop you from even starting. You, you lose that way. So pretty much do the thing mm-hmm. and then things will happen, which is the, the theme, main theme behind my, my podcast, which I had mentioned earlier, which is build yeah. it and it will play. So do the thing and they will, you know, show up. Um, okay. That's my core advice, really. Okay, cool, cool. That's good advice. Very, very solid advice, which, like you said, applies to creatives across the board. Um, and I did want to point out that every year, Kenya Mattis team, um, at least me, Caribbean, they host a hackathon, right? Yes, I was actually supposed to plug that, and she would be very mad at me about that. Um, listen yeah, to me, Caramac. <laughs> listen to me, Caramac, and um, the JGDS. We will be collaborating this year, 2020, for the Global Game Jam, which is a event, a global event, where across everywhere, um, people come together and they build a game around a central theme. Um, it's a game jam, which is pretty much a colloquial term for a game-focused hackathon. Uh, it happens every year in January. I think this year it is um, the twenty, the weekend of the 21st, I believe. It's three days, 72 hours to build a game. And who do you want to take part in this? Everyone. Everyone. Bring your... It doesn't matter your age. Um... We actually had a kid, I think he was 10, show up with his mom and he was just, he was just, he just had a blast. He, he was the unofficial tester for anything that anybody made. Um, Oh, that's important. Yeah, Yeah, that's important, right? Um, And you can grab kids, chances are your game will be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And then there were a couple of times where I had to move to the next game. He's like, no, no, I want to finish this part. And it was fun. It was fun. It was gratifying. And I think a lot of people enjoyed seeing somebody enjoy something they worked on. The Game Jam, really and truthfully, is an event that is supposed to encourage people to communicate, collaborate, and create. And yeah, that's what we want to focus on right now. I hope I can make it. I keep missing it because something always comes up on that day, but I hope I can make it. And I hope there's space for an animator or animation director but there's definitely space in one way or another even if it's just to guide people um guide people to you know how they can make their block move across the screen a little smoother you know apply some Uh, animation principles questions all right well last two questions Mm -hmm. who would you like to see me interview next okay um who would I like to see you next, interview next? Uh, I would like to hear from, and I'm trying very hard not to, not to reference anybody that I know directly. Um, do you know the illustrator CoCab? CoCab, no, I don't. 